Hey, thanks for listening with Sanctuary. We're excited to grow in the knowledge of Jesus with you. Now let's get into the Word. Amen. I want to talk to you about redirect. Setting the Lord continually before you. Somebody say continually. All right, y'all going to have to help me out because I'm at 50% on my voice, all right? So continually before you, redirect. Uh, I'm a planner. Those of you who know, I'm kind of a, I'm a, I'm an organized planner, okay? That's my uh, psychological condition, okay? So, you know, some people are spontaneous and you're way more fun than me and I love to be around you, but I'm a planner. I like to make plans. It's very rare that I'm just going to spontaneously take a trip without packing, okay? That's not my, that's, I would, I would have a nervous breakdown midway through, okay? It wouldn't be very fun. So, you know, if you're going to take a trip, though, there's, there's a good thing to be a planner because your life is going one that way, and then for a moment, you need to stop, calibrate, reorganize, and say, I'm about to take a flight, maybe out of country, across the country, so you need to say, well, how many pairs of undergarments do I need? How many socks? How many pairs of blue jeans? Some of y'all wear one the whole week. I don't stand, but anyway, you, how many pairs of this do I need? Uh, do I have my toiletries? And you, you make a plan because you want to get to your destination and enjoy it and not have to worry about that. You know, where the, maybe they don't have a Walmart where you're going, right? So you take a moment, you realign your life to say, I want to go this way. And I need to prepare to get there. Same thing, uh, uh, Brent, I don't know where he's at, but me and him uh, kayak every now and then. And the day of or the day before you go kayaking, I need to make sure I got my life jacket, my, my fishing rods, my lures, my tackle. I need to know if I got a rope in case something happens. I can you know, tie on to a tree somewhere, my anchor. Otherwise, you're going to get out there, and it's not going to be very fun. You're probably not going to fish very far. Could get eaten by an alligator. I don't know. But you're, you make a plan. And some of you, even if you're traveling across the uh, country and taking a road trip, you're probably going to look at Expedia or Hotels.com and find out which is the place along the way, what's some cool restaurants we can do, because you want to enjoy the journey and you want to get there, right? And so you take a moment. My life has been going this direction. But I, this now is where I want to go, and I've got to realign or redirect my life in a way to get there. So here's my question for you. Where are you going to go spiritually this year? Amen. Where do you want to go? And how are you going to get there? Because I think in a lot of times we are just kind of going through the flow. We have plans in our life, but we're not really planning where we're going spiritually. We just think it's going to happen. But it's like anything. If you uh, don't make a plan to get there, the chances are you're not going to get anywhere. And if you want to get anywhere spiritually, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to take a spiritual journey this year and actually get there, you have to do this one thing continually set the Lord before you. Amen. Continually set the Lord before you. How will you get there? What will it cost you? And are you prepared to face any difficulties ahead? You know, as a Christian, it's easy to drift uh, in daily life. All of us are uh, we're susceptible to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We all just go through the motions. We can drift and kind of lose the direction we're going. But this morning, I want to talk about taking that drift, taking that loss of focus, and saying, God, this is where I want to be at the end of this year, or this month, or this week. And what am I going to do 
to get there. So we're going to redirect. Amen? Okay, Psalm 16, verse 1, set before me. If you want to go anywhere spiritually, you have to set the Lord continually before you. And this is what David says, Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Somebody say refuge. refuge. All right, we're going to talk about that. And I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good beside you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who bartered for another God, they'll be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion. He's the portion. He's the portion of my inheritance. My cup, you support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Verse 7 and 8 is my key for today. I will bless the Lord who's counseled me. Indeed, my mind, it instructs me in the night. I have, here it is, set the Lord continually before me. I have set the Lord continually before me because he's at my right hand. I'll not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh dwells insecurely. You will not have been in my soul to Sheol, which is the place of the dead, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of what? Joy. And in your hand are pleasures forevermore. So how do you set the Lord before you? All right, so this is a term that's kind of like, uh, how many like to set meat and potatoes before you, right? How many like to set fried catfish before you or a good gumbo, right? It's whatever set before you is like on a table. It's presented before you. It's something you're looking at that's close to your face. You can probably smell it, and hopefully you'll partake of it. And that's kind of the idea. Anytime we talk about something set before you, it's what you're looking at, what you're set on. It's close. It's where you want to get to by the end of this. And he's saying, I've set the Lord continually before me. It's something I'm going to partake of. It's not something I've ignored. Well, there was a moment, if you go back, um, actually, you're going to fast forward in David's life. And there was a moment he set the Lord before him. Um, it was that moment when he became king. It's in First Chronicles after chapter 13. Saul has neglected the ark for years. The ark for several decades has been at this guy's house. And David has set up as king. His mighty men have helped him. And he's now the king. And he's uh, just newly at this. He just became the king. And he's in Jerusalem. And he consults with his leaders and his advisors and his generals and says, I want to bring the ark of God's presence into the capital city. I want God's presence where I'm ruling and reigning. And David says, all right, let's do this. And they go and they go to this guy's house. And they take the ark, put it on some carts, and pull it by some oxes. And there's this guy named Uzzah, and uh, you know the story, the ark uh, kind of gets bumpy, and is about to fall, and Uzzah puts his hand out, and what happens? He dies. Inst instantly, as soon as he touched it, he died because he wasn't qualified to carry the ark. And David, actually, the Bible says he was scared of God. And for three months, he's trying to figure out, I don't know if I want to do this or not. This is God's presence. It's holy. How, am I gonna, how do we carry it? And he says, I didn't consult the Lord 
on how to bring his presence in. So he consults God, and for three months he kind of makes a plan. He sets his house up, and he builds a special tent, a special place for God's ark. And he goes to Moses' law, and he says, look, this is how it's supposed to be. The, the Levites are supposed to carry it. So here's what he does. He takes the Levites. He purifies their families. He says, you're going to carry it. I'm going to set my generals with it. I'm going to put uh, priests, and they're going to blow some trumpets, and, and your Levitical worshipers, we're going to get a band, and it's going to be a choir, and we're going to go. And they do. They carry the ark on their shoulders like God told them to. And along the way, with ceremony and sacrifice, David begins to rejoice, and he puts on a priestly garment. He lays aside his kingly garment, puts on a priestly garment. This is that moment where Mikhail, she, she, you know, she scorns him as he says, oh, you're dressing like you're naked out there. And it's not what he was doing. He was leaping and dancing with joy because he was bringing God's presence into his city. And as soon as he gets it in there, he writes a psalm, and it's actually Psalms 105, and there's one verse I want you to see of what he said when he put God's presence in his city. And here it is. Psalms 105, verse 3. Glory in his holy name, let the heart of those who seek, somebody say seek. Seek the Lord, be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Here it is. Seek his face continually. So what he say in Psalm 16? I have set the Lord before me continually. I have continually set the Lord before me. I want to seek His face. The word face in the Hebrew is presence. And it's because it's a face-to-face -face relationship. His face is His presence. See, I have set His presence. I have set God's face continually before me. And let the one who does that be glad. How do you set God's presence continually before you? Where are you going to go spiritually this year? How are you going to get there? And what are you going to do to make that happen? What's your plan for this journey? And are you packed for this trip? And what are you looking for in 2024? Why did David want to do this? Because he knew that when he set the Lord before him, God became the source of his physical and spiritual blessing in his life. He was a refuge in times of trouble, and ultimately it was his hope for eternal life. So let's look at three, real, real quick, three quick things I'm going to give you. of How do you set the Lord continually before you? What have you set your sights on this year to make your gain? Number one is make the Lord your good. You know, on a journey, how, I think how you get there matters. So we've been traveling a lot for the holidays. Uh, how many know there's good drivers and bad drivers? You know, you can get there. But for me, it matters how you're getting there. Because on the way home this last uh, week, I'm gone cruise. I'm in the left lane passing people. But you ever been to by these people before? You're on cruise. I'm, I'm, a few, I'm not going to say what I was driving, okay? I, I was on cruise at a certain mileage. And as soon as I got up next to this person, what do they do? They speed up. They're like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to go faster. And I'm like, I'm on cruise. I haven't changed. And then as soon as I, I let, okay, slow down off a of cruise, get behind them, what do they do? They slowed down. Y'all know this person. You've met them before. And they slowed down. They, okay, get back on cruise again. And here they go. They speed back up with me. I'm like, well, we're going to be doing this forever. I'm never going to get away from this person. So what does the honest, uh, law-abiding Christian do? You floor the gas and you just get around them. That's right. 
You know, there's a good way to drive, and there's a bad way to drive. And the same is true in the Christian life. Some of us think we're just going to get there. But there's a way God has instructed you to go on this journey. There's a good path. There's a narrow way. And there's all kinds of ways out there. And you might think this is the way to grow spiritually. But there's only really one good way. And that's His way, to lead the way He wants you to go on this journey. So, number one is make the Lord your good. God defines your good if you're on this journey. He says, I have, verse uh, 16, verse 2, I have no good beside you. David is in a day, and he says, I'm not going to do life the way the rest of the world's doing life. They, these guys have trusted in idols and vanity. They've trusted in material gain and wealth. And he says, I've seen that anybody who trusts in those things, it only leads to sorrow. Those things don't fulfill you. Anytime you trust in anything else but God, and if you define the good things in your life outside of God, you'll find yourself totally empty on the inside. He says, I have no good besides you. Did David have good things? Yes. But God was the source and definition of those good things. He says, in your presence, is your face is fullness of joy. He says, my lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. He says, my life is blessed. Maybe not blessed in the way the rest of the world is blessed, but when I look at my life, I say, God has his hand on my life. I can see that God has been good to me. How many say God's been good to me? You, you can see, maybe I'm not the wealthiest, most famous, attractive person in the world because I haven't had 13 surgeries on my face. I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm not defining my life on what everybody else is defining their life on. But when I look at God and I look at my life, God's been good. My life is blessed of the Lord. He says, my good is God. The good in my life comes from God. He says, I have no good but you. You know, if you want God's presence to be your destination this year, God has got to define your good. Those who seek the Lord in Psalms 34 says, shall not be in want of any good thing. Seek God, you'll have no want of good things. Because God is Oh, yeah. Come on. God is. There we go. You know, God is good. So what does that mean? When I feel depleted, do I first turn to my spouse to fulfill me? Do I go back to the pills and the bottles? Do I go back to that computer alone in the night when no one's around? Do I go back to thinking about how I can get even with this person like I used to feel when I was living in my old life? Do I go back to wanting to gossip about this person with my friends on Facebook? Come on. When I, I need to feel good. I feel bad right now, so I need to do something to feel good. There's a lot of things the world's going to turn to feel good. Are you with me? They're going to turn to all kinds of things. But God, if he defines your good, I have no good outside of him. So that means my wife is not the ultimate fulfillment of my life. God is. My money is not the ultimate fulfillment. What you think about me is not the ultimate fulfillment of my life. I don't care. If God is my good, he defines everything else. So I turn to him for the definition of what's good going on good in my life. You can have all kinds of things going on bad, but if you've got God going for you, you got some good. Amen? Amen. So make the Lord your good. You know, any, there's a lot of good things in the world. Man, I, 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 like I said, I love kayaking. I love traveling. And I love, you know, fishing's great and shooting's great. And, you know, I love stuff. We, we love doing things. But, you know, good things can become idols. And anything that's good that replaces God is an idol. And David says, there's a lot of good things out there. But I have no good apart from you. I want you to think about this year. Are there good things in your life that could become idols when things aren't going good? 
I, things are going bad. I need to get away from everything. I need to go fish. Well, fishing's good, but fishing can be a God, right? Hey, things are not going great right now in my marriage. I need to turn to this person at work who's given me a lot of attention. Come on. It could be a good relationship, and it may be okay, but if that thing becomes your God, it's an idolatry. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good things you could do. But any good thing that replaces God is an idol. Set before you the goodness of God. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Is God the greatest good in your life? And is there evidence to support it? Number two is make the Lord your refuge. Uh, you know, you can't always know what's ahead in life. Uh, every destination and journey uh, has its obstacles, has its unexpected horizons. Uh, I've taken some trips before with some unexpectedness. I remember one time, um, I was very little. My dad and I were going back from a practice. We, did, we had a, a karate practice we went to when I was very, very, very little. So don't try no moves on me. I don't know anything. Um, so we... We went, and it, it was in Mississippi, you know, so it was a good drive, and we had like, like a 35, 40-minute drive back, and I remember it was dark, and all of a sudden, a storm shows up in, on this highway coming back uh, uh, through Greenville, Mississippi, and, and he, I just hear my dad say, hold on, because in the rearview mirror behind him in the lightning, he could see the outline of a tornado. A twister was coming from the city down the highway, and I just remember my dad saying, Hold on, and guess what he did? He obeyed that traffic. No, he did not obey the traffic laws. He floored it and got us out of there because something unexpected. I could trust in my dad to get me out of that place. Amen. And David says, I, on this journey, on this relationship, I have no good beside you, but I also have no refuge but you. You are my refuge. It's a difficult road. You don't know when disaster or death comes up. You don't know when disease may strike. You don't know when the enemy is going to attack. So what could this year bring? And David says, before I even get that far, I already got a refuge. It's my God. Psalm 16, verse 9, my heart is glad. My glory rejoices. My flesh, he says, my body, my flesh is going to dwell securely. And I know that God's not even going to abandon my soul to the place of the death. So he says, for I, verse 1, take refuge in you. Psalm 62, verse 5, he says, He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. God rests on God. My salvation rests, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. David had a lot of experience finding out God is his refuge. I mean, the dude began his Christian journey, uh, really his, his journey in the wilderness with God. He became a king, and he, before he could do that, he'd find out that God was a refuge in caves, hiding from Saul. And a refuge is a place of safety. It's a cliff uh, in a cave. Often it's a, it's a place where you go to dwell in solitude and secrecy, away with God, but not getting attacked by the enemy. Even cities in the Bible became known as cities of refuge, where you could run to and find solace and restoration. David said, my God is like one of these cities. When things are not going like I think they go, I can run to him and find safety. And he says, I have set the Lord continually before me as a refuge. And he says, anybody who sets the Lord before him as a refuge, he says, the Lord comes to the right hand of that person. Look what he says. He says, God is at my right hand. I'm not going to be shaken. And he says, at his right hand is what? Verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 11. At his right hand is pleasures forevermore. 
He says, if I set God before me, God comes to my right hand, and a right hand is a place of favor, it's a place of comfort, it's a place of exaltation, a personal friendship. When someone's at your right hand, they're like your best friend. Man, I extend favor to them, they're like my go-to person, they got my back. And he says, I set God before me, and God comes to me and stands at my right hand, and I can lean on him. He says, in the middle of the night, he's even comforting me. I'm sleeping in a cave on a dirt floor with a rock pillow, and God is whispering things. You think God was teaching David a lot in these early years about really relying on him. How many whispering nights did David have before he ever became king? And here he is as king, sending God's presence before him and thinking, the world's thinking, well, if I do this, I'm going to get all this. But David's already gone through the ringer and he knows God was with me in the wilderness. God has been speaking to me in the night watches. And that God that is with me in the cave, the God who was speaking to me in my dreams, and I didn't know I was going to make it, I have set that God's presence up in my city. And this now, I've brought God's presence to the center point place of my house. The center place, I, wasn't, I was a nobody out there, but God was with me. And even though I'm a somebody, that somebody's going to be with me. Amen. I've set God as a refuge. We're going to go this year when things get tough. Will you go back to those bad habits? Where are you going to go to in the middle of a sleepless night? Will you hear the whispers of God, the counselor speaking to you? Where will you come when unexpected storms show up in your rearview mirror? And will you have a father who's sitting at your right hand in that seat saying, hold on, we've got this. You see, he's got to be in the car. He's got to be already with you. Amen. Sometimes I think we're like, oh, when it gets bad, I'll call him in. You see what David said in Psalms 27, verse 5. He says, in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. David put the tent in the middle of his city. And David knew if it gets bad, that's where I'm running. But how are you going to do that if you haven't already set God's presence before you? Amen. Where are you going to run if he's not in the middle of your city? Where are you going to run when his house doesn't have a place, hasn't had a place in your heart? David said, before the day of trouble's even begun... My God's got a P.O. box downtown. He's got a place in the center of my city. He has a house in the middle of my heart. God is my refuge. And I don't have to worry that I've neglected his presence because as soon as something happens, there he is. How will he be your refuge if you've neglected setting his presence before you? And lastly is this, make the Lord your portion. Um, you know, we will work, uh, you'll work, we will work weeks months even, to go spend a few days at a vacation. We'll spend, I mean, it'll take all the money we have. Weeks of work, weeks of work for days of fun, all right? We will go to, uh, my family loves roller coasters. I've become a, a fan. Uh, my wife loves roller coasters. I had, to, I, I had to compromise and be married, you know, that's how it works. So anyway, uh, I, they will wait in line. I'm not a, I don't really care that much, but they will wait three to five hours in line. And this roller coaster, y'all, is like 60 seconds. Right? I mean, does that math make sense to anybody? Three hours, 60 seconds. Why do people do this? 
Why won't we work weeks for days of fun? Why won't we wait in line for three hours for seconds of fun? Why? It's because you value the joy of that experience to the level of your sacrifice. You value the joy of it, and you're willing to sacrifice to that level for just a few minutes, for just a few seconds, for just a few days. But what if that joy, even though that joy is kind of fleeting and it's over in a moment, it's like, all right, well, that was fun. Uh, we've got to wait until next year when we can afford to come back to this place for 60 more seconds. <laughs> right? Think about it. It's fleeting. It's done. It's over. You got the Instagram reel to look back at. But what if that joy was available on the journey? What if you could experience that joy waiting in line? What if you could experience that vacation while working for it? Now, follow with me just for a second. David says, while other people are working for their piece of the pie right now, uh, and to have their piece of the pie right now, David said, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. I'm almost done. Just listen to this. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. He says, their joy is fleeting and temporary, but I am setting the Lord before me. He's my portion, my inheritance, my cup. What does that mean? That's coming from the words about the Levitical priesthood. He's saying there was a tribe of Levi of the 12 tribes. This one tribe didn't get any 401ks from God. They didn't get any land, any inheritance. They didn't even get normal jobs. They didn't even get normal cities. They had special cities in those places. All they did as a whole clan was take care of the things of God. And they ate from the Lord's table, though. They couldn't get secular jobs. They couldn't build up their economy. They couldn't build up their wealth. And he says, God says, of that tribe, I'll be their portion. I'll be the tribe of Levi's inheritance. And David said, I have learned how to do that spiritually. I look at the world, and yeah, we've got to have jobs and economies and retirement. He says, I look at the world and I see that, but really, I've learned a secret that God has become my portion, my inheritance, and my cup. I'm going to be like this tribe. I'm going to set the Lord before me, and He's going to be my inheritance. What does He say? In that same verse, He says, I know you won't allow your Holy One to go into decay. Peter says, this is when David is prophesying about Jesus. David says, I know because you're going to raise Jesus. I don't know how he knew other than prophetic revelation from God. He says, I know that one day one will come from me, my lineage, and you're not going to let him go down to the place of death because I know you're going to raise him up. I know you're going to raise me up. And that's my inheritance. My inheritance is in the Lord. It's in Christ who's going to be raised from the dead. And because he's raised from the dead, I know that I'm going to walk in the land of the living. He says, this is the 401k I'm looking for. This is is the inheritance I have. But you know what? That's the end of the journey. That's, that's the forever pleasures forevermore. That's, that's the forever. But there's something else David said. He said, he's my inheritance, and that's why I'll sacrifice working weeks for a few moments. That's why, that's why we'll go through the ringer. You know, this Christian journey is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. There's trials and tribulations. People ain't going to like you. You're not going to get to do everything the rest of the world does. It's not always going to be fun. But guess what? How many know the journey, the, jo the end of this destination is worth it? The joy you're going to experience in eternity will be worth whatever you've got to give up on this life. But you don't have to have a Christianity that's dull and depressing either. Because he says the second part, he says, the Lord is not just my inheritance, but he's my cup. Remember what he said in Psalms 23? My cup, what? Runneth over. It overflows. Cup is a word for soul. 
And he says, God is the inheritance of my life. He's really what I'm building up for. He's the end of the journey, where I'm headed. But he's also the portion of my cup. My cup runs over. When Jesus died, he didn't just leave you to go through this life dull and depressed. But David says, because I have an eternal guarantee then, I have an experience right here and now. I get to experience on the journey, waiting in line for the end of this thing. But in the middle of the line, my cup is running over. This isn't something I have to wait till experience. Right here, right now, while I look ahead to resurrection, I'm still experiencing the fullness of joy. In His presence is joy. It's unspeakable. It's full of glory. He says, my cup runs over. He says, my portion is not just this eternal future, but it's an encounter right here, right now. Somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, it doesn't have to be dull and depressing. Christ is with us today. I think uh, too many Christians try to possess God like He's this doctrine. And if I figure out this doctrine, and I believe in doctrine, I'm big on doctrine. But he's like, if I figure out the right theology, I'll experiencing Him then evermore. And Christianity becomes very dead and dry and boring and lifeless because you're all just performing figurations. I'm just figuring out how to get there. And when I get there, I'll have all the wonderful things of heaven. Well, that's kind of a dull and depressing way to look at God because that's really not what Scripture says. They have Him, but they're not experiencing Him, or they're limiting how much experience. So, for instance, if there was a blind person, and they had the world's biggest library, and it wasn't Braille, the, the world's biggest library, but they were blind, they may possess it, but can they enjoy it? You may possess it, but you're not experiencing it. For instance, maybe there was uh, a, a, or, or a painting. Uh, you had the, uh, a blind person. You had the world's largest museum of the most fanciful art in the world. You, you can own it, but you can't take it in. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't know it because there's no one there to help you. And even if I explained it to you, I couldn't tell you about Van Gogh's brushstrokes and Monet's color palette. I, it's something you have to take in and experience. And the same is true in Christianity. You cannot experience and take in a God who's spiritual in a natural way. This is not a natural man thing. It's not a, it's not a journey of doctrine and theology, which I love and appreciate, but it's a journey of experiencing God through the Holy Spirit. And these young fishermen, these guys like David, found out who God was in the middle of a of a pasture with sheep in the middle of the night and with the scriptures God wasn't just something out there to be known but he was something they were experiencing right here right now not forevermore yes that's going to happen but right here so he says God is my portion you see if you want to get somewhere spiritually this year if you want to have a, a journey a destination you want to make this uh, spiritual growth happen in your life you've got to make the Lord your per your portion right here and right now. You see, David, remember he danced, and it says he laughed with joy as he was bringing God's presence into his place. Maybe we need to be a little happier about having God right here, right now. Maybe we need to enjoy the journey just a little bit more. And is this the piece of the pie I've set my sights on? And this is what, let's listen. The world needs to see a church that's full of joy. They need to see a church that's experiencing God, not just after death, but experiencing God right here, right now. 
And it doesn't have to be craziness, but it has to be authentic and it has to be real. That God really wants to come to your right hand. And he really wants to give you a presence, his presence that's fullness of joy. There are those pleasures forevermore, now and forevermore. So where are you going to go this year? And how are you going to get there? And is the filling of the Holy Spirit going to be your portion? Is God going to be your refuge because you've already chosen to set him in his place right here, right now? And is he defining every good thing uh, in your life? Would you stand with me this morning? If you want to go anywhere spiritually, you have to set the Lord continually before you. I love that he adds continually because it's not a one-time, one-day thing. Maybe you've set God before you before, but today's a new day to set him before you again. And tomorrow's another day to set him before you again. And the next day's another day to set him before you again. And like that meal, to taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man. How blessed is the woman who takes him in, who receives all of him. and says, God, I've got no good thing but you. Father, you are my refuge. I'm springing in your presence into the heart's home. Father, we're right now in this place. We just want every man, woman, boy, and girl. Maybe we're here today and we don't know you. And the first step is just to set you on your throne and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I repent of my sin. I turn from the way I was going, and I turn to you, Jesus. And, Lord, I'm not turning to man or denomination or to a pastor or to a church. I'm turning to a personal relationship with the God of the universe who sent his only son to die for me and gives me the Holy Spirit that I can live out this life with him and in him and through him and abide in him and know him. And he's not going to let me go. He's not going to let me fall. And I'm going to continually not trust in myself, but I'm going to trust in Jesus. And if that's you, you can make that profession. You can give up your life and surrender to Jesus right here, right now. And in a moment, come find your place at this altar. Somebody's going to pray.